The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Breakfast with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. As the French like to say, some things always stay the same. They never change. Let's talk about the customer is always right. It's a slogan we associate with Marshall Fields Department Store way back in the late 19th century. It's also been attributed to famous French hotelier César Ritz. You know the Ritz Hotel. And it's still a popular mantra today. Okay, let's fast forward to 2011. Consider this. You are selling product or a service. You do everything right. Mm-hmm. You deliver the right merchandise at the right price. The terms are right. Guarantees are in place. You send it at the right time to the right place. Everything is perfect. But some customers start blabbing and talking and social networking and saying, I'll never buy from him or her again. What? Well, what could have gone wrong? Maybe it was a delivery person who doesn't even work for you. Could they have been rude or damaged the package in transit? Could it be something else that you think is beyond your control? Well, whatever it is, it left a bad taste in the customer's mouth about your brand. And bottom line, it spoiled what you thought was a perfect transaction. Do you want to avoid what one of my guests today calls the last mile mishap? It's all about CRM, burn those letters in your mind, customer relationship management. But let's take a step back. What does the customer really want you to know about them? And once you have that data, how do you manage it to finesse the relationship, build trust and loyalty, but not cross that line of personal space? One industry insider tells me that if you provide great service, the customer will be more than likely to share a lot of information about themselves. So how hard is that? Our topic today on Breakfast with Game Changers is the future of CRM. Know thy customer, know thy profit. I'll be talking to CRM industry experts and thought leaders Anthony Leeper and R. Ray Wong about how the CRM future will be smart, dynamic, and personalized enough to help you, the business person, score a better grade on your customer report cards. So... Pour yourself a fresh cup of Joe, Earl, or OJ, whatever your taste is, and join us for Food for Thought as we explore the world of CRM yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm going to introduce my first guest now. He's Anthony Leeper, Senior VP and General Manager, Line of Business Customer Solutions for SAP. Anthony is responsible for all SAP sales, service, and marketing solutions. His focus is on pushing innovation to ensure SAP CRM solutions deliver value and improve customer insight and intimacy. There's a word we're going to talk about in a way that delights customers and exceeds expectations. Anthony, I can't read all of this in your bio because it'll take up the whole show. Welcome to Breakfast with Game Changers. How are you today? 
Yeah, very well, thank you. Hey, Bonnie, I appreciate being invited from uh, a sort of rather bedraggled England to give you some of my ideas and thoughts. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Where exactly in England are you calling from, Anthony? So I'm actually calling from an area of England which is uh, known as Lincolnshire. It's where over 10% of the local food produce comes from for England, and uh, it's on effectively the east coast of England. Okay, thanks for the, the geographical. I'll plug in my GPS there. Now, let's talk about the future of CRM. Before we get into the future concept, what's your definition of CRM? What's the history? Why do we have it in the first place? Who decided, if the customer is always right, that we better know what it's going to take to get it right? How did this all start, Anthony? Well, if you went back sort of you know, 30, 40 years when we used to buy from little corner shops or little supermarkets in our local town, then people knew us by our name. They saw us on a regular basis. They knew some of the things we liked. If we maybe went in to buy a product and it wasn't there, they knew that we'd asked for it. The next time you went in, they would probably proactively come and offer you that particular product. So there was a level of knowledge. You knew what the store could provide, and the store knew about you and some of your personal preferences. And in fact, probably through day-to-day conversation, you told them a lot more than you probably expected to. Now, if you roll forward, we then get into a world where the way we are served is by people who no longer know us on an intimate basis. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're buying products from a totally anonymous individual over the web, and yet we're expecting some of the same level of service. We want our goods to arrive reliably when we expect them. We want it to the interchange, the interaction we have to be relevant. We want any time there's a problem for somebody to be responsive and care about us as an individual. And we want the whole experience to be convenient. And so that's where CRM started. How do you start to track the interactions you have, the information you know about the consumer or the customer, in order to be able to have a better sort of interaction or conversation if you ever got to talk to them? Do you think the key word in what you just told me, Anthony, is caring? We want people to care about us. We're doing something. We're handing over a currency, a dollar, a dime, a, a euro, whatever it is. We're giving something that has value to us, to the person who is selling us that product or service. And we want it to be more than just a transaction, which we'll get into with our next guest in a few minutes. We want them to care about us. Do you think people have still that level of I want the merchant to really care about me or know me. How personal do you think we really want this to be? It's really interesting. I mean, they want sincerity. Ah, It's not just to make it look like they care. We want them to care because, you know, they understand enough about me to appreciate, you know, how the decision-making process to acquire this uh, produce or item um, may have been easy or tough. Um, We want them to understand, you know, how I will feel uh, if something goes wrong. And we need them to show a level of understanding based on me, the individual, and, you know, what I would be expecting. But it can't be false. So it has to be appropriate. And sometimes the, you know, have a nice day type comment uh, doesn't really help if my product has turned up and it's in pieces. That's, that's true. So I'm hearing another keyword, which is the individual, the person, the human being. We're talking about humanizing the whole process, but then in the same breath, Anthony, we're talking about automating all of that data, sticking it into a computer, into systems, into big data, into real-time analytics, being able to tap into it because 
Most of the people we buy from, let's face it, don't have a clue who we are when we walk in the store, when we buy online. So we're trying to create, if you will, a um, simulated intimacy with an individual and make the customer feel valued and cared about and important and special. Have I encapsulated that? Absolutely. And you can look at two extremes, right? We all probably today dial into a call center, go down 15 levels of choices, you know, press one for this option, 10 for this option. And when we get to the end of that process, the caller still asks you who you are and asks you to give your account number. And so that whole sort of start to try and use technology has gone very wrong. And we actually need to take a step back and think of better ways of using it. Well, we're going to take a step back and bring on our second panelist today, if you will. His name is R. Ray Wong. He's a principal analyst and CEO at Constellation Research Group. Ray was previously a founding partner and research analyst for enterprise strategy at Altimeter Group and the author of the popular enterprise software blog, A Software Insider's Point of View. Ray tells me that he gets, oh, what is it, a million page views a year. So welcome, Ray Wong, to Breakfast with Game Changers. How are you today, Ray? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot, Bonnie. My, my pleasure. And, and we're going to have you chime in here. We have a couple minutes left in our first segment. I want to introduce you and have you talk about the shift from transactional systems to engagement systems. And that really dovetails with what I've been talking about with Anthony. Why don't you give us your POV on this? Well, that's a lot of things that Anthony was talking about make a lot of sense. I mean, we've changed in terms of how we work uh, with individuals, especially when we're looking about customers and, and where they fit. In the old days, uh, we were looking at transactions. We were looking at, you know, keeping things into nice, neat boxes. We're trying to keep things in, uh, you know, structured records and data. And, and these things didn't work the way people worked. And I think kind of uh, Anthony was alluding to this in the fact that, you know, we, we didn't remember the conversations that were being had. Uh, we used these systems to just track, like, basic things that would keep uh, automation happening as opposed to really thinking about the customer and the relationship. And so when we talk about customer relationship management, what was done really well was management. Um, and we mm-hmm. barely touched the customer, and now we're moving towards doing a better job with relationship. And to get there, there are a couple of things that are changing, right? We are mm-hmm. designing for what we call sense and response. And this is different. These engagement systems, they listen to assess status and sentiment and context. So if you could tell that someone is unhappy uh, with getting uh, with the level of service they have, maybe that would lead you to give them a discount on the next purchase or be proactive by getting a phone call to address an issue. So these systems go beyond transactional systems, uh, but really focus on things such as how do we go about you know proactively going out to reach someone. The second, so we really yeah oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I want to say we really are moving back into the personal side of relationships and putting the relationship back into relationship rather than just a big system, impersonal and stuck in a box somewhere. We are saying go out and talk to a real person. So go ahead. What's the second thing, right? Oh, most definitely. It's about engagement, right? We're definitely going to do this. And we're doing it because we now have all these different channels to get there. Um, these channels could be what we're doing on a social networking level, what's happening in mobility, uh, what's happening with feedback networks and loops, but basically how we connect, collaborate, and share with each other is at the centerpiece of those conversations and how we engage with each other. And then, of course, right. there are a couple of things that are changing, uh, really um, delivering speed, right? In the past, we would try to get information to people just in time, and as Anthony was talking about, we're now moving to real time. And more importantly, 
we will evolve at some point to getting to things into right time, which has a level of context. And then more importantly, the notion of B2B and B2C, that's rapidly eroding because the same individual may go mm-hmm. in uh, and do something for work, but also come back later for something on a personal level. So back to the corner store or restaurant, you may go in and make a purchase for on behalf of your company uh, and then come back later and do something for a personal level. But that experience you had as a representative of the company will impact what you do as an individual. So B2B and B2C go away over time and becomes more people-to-people oriented as we go forward. I couldn't agree with you more, and this is something I've been saying over the many years of my marketing career, Ray, is that the same person who is sitting in that CEO chair or CIO or, or tech worker, whoever they are, they're still a human being who does go to the store, who does make purchasing decisions and lifestyle decisions, and there's no way to put, I don't think either one of you are old enough to remember the Gardol Shield. It was a toothpaste commercial back in the 50s or 60s where this invisible shield to protect your teeth, basically. I call it the Gardol shield that separates the personal person from the corporate person. There is still that, that flow of who am I? What do I like? What do I want for my company? What do I want for myself and my family? Which all goes back to the whole idea of relationships. I have a question for you, Ray, before we go to break. And the question is, is it still true that the customer is always right? Yes or no? I think that is, uh, the short answer is yes, the customer is always right, but you're also allowed to fire the customer. <laughs> I have to ask Anthony Leeper, do you agree, disagree? Uh, I agree. If you want to make a sale, if you're interested in that customer and strengthening your relationship with them, then the customer is always right. If you're not interested in that, then the customer's probably wrong. Interesting. Okay. We're just about ready for our first break. When we come back on Breakfast with Game Changers, I'm going to be asking Anthony Leeper and Ray Wong what they're drinking today because we're still called Breakfast with Game Changers. But breaking news is that the show will be changing our name very soon to Coffee Break with Game Changers. So we don't care what time zone you're listening to us in. We want to know what you're drinking. And we'll be tweeting, taking the tweets today. I've got Malcolm sending me all the tweets of what everybody who listens is drinking. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is still Breakfast with Game Changers. We'll be right back with much more from my very special guests on the future of CRM. Don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, whatever it is you're controlling today. Okay, Justin, take it away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? 
Listen for Be More, Achieve More, Inspiration for the Entrepreneurial Mind with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. No family can survive on two incomes anymore, let alone one. If you are supplementing your family's income working from home, then tune into The Cash Flow Show, Direct Sales Radio. Host Deb Bixler brings you sales tips, lead generation systems, and best business practices that guarantee direct sales success. Whether you're looking for a little extra cash or a career change, The Cash Flow Show, Direct Sales Radio, will give you proven systems that will work in your home business. The Cash Flow Show. Every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Breakfast with Game Changers, presented by SAP. To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag, pound sign, S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Breakfast with Game Changers. And we're back, and we have some coffee interesting information from our tweeters today. Malcolm is drinking Holiday Blend from at sign Equator Coffees. I guess that's their Twitter handle. It's light-bodied. I love this, Malcolm, with complex spice notes. I can just imagine how good it smells. Margo is on today, and she is at her favorite Starbucks. She's drinking Pike's Peak Decaf Americano. Great staff. She says it's like a barista genius bar. That plays into our CRM topic, Margo. We'll talk about that a little bit. Carolyn's drinking Diet Coke right now, followed by uh, following the pot of half-calf she brewed at 6.30 this morning. Ugh, CB, you're such a trooper. And let's see, I think Kristen is drinking something festive for the holiday. It's a, a holly, jolly holiday spirit. She made herself a virgin cinnamon coquito, which is a Puerto Rican eggnog. We're waiting for Wendy's coffee. We'll hear from that soon. Anthony Leeper, what are you drinking today, please? Well, of course, it's uh, afternoon here in England, so I'm actually drinking a cup of Yorkshire tea. It's made by a company called Taylors of Harrogate, and in fact, it was a family tea merchant established in 1886. Yorkshire is only a little bit sort of north of me. Lots of nice English green fields and, uh, you know, lovely little sort of uh, country roads. And so that's all on the box. That gives you the impression as you take out the tea bag and make a really traditional Yorkshire cup of tea. And it sounds like it's a personal experience because you can see that the company has longevity. They're still around. That's the first thing that impressed me. And they're telling you about themselves. So it's making, we're talking about relationships. Ray Wong, what drinkest you today, please? I've got a pomegranate limeade from Adwala and uh, one of the local companies here that makes uh, fresh natural juices. 
Very nice. And in case you're wondering, I'm still drinking my usual Starbucks mocha decaf skim with light whip, and they don't let me have caffeine on the days of the radio show. So there. So let's talk about customer relationship management. Let's talk about some more stories, case studies, if you will. Everybody wants to talk about the airlines. You flew where? What was your trip like? How was the service on the plane? What was your airport arrival like? How long did you have to wait? How bad was the line? Did they help you? What was check-in like? Anthony Leeper, rumor has it you have a heck of an airline story. I don't know if you're going to drop any names, but let's start with the question of how can you alienate your customers really effectively? Anthony, share your story, please. Yes, sure, by all means. Well, I use a couple of the major airline carriers out of the United Kingdom, and the experience is, couldn't be the, the most different between the two of them. One of them picks me up from home, dials into the local control on the journey down to the airport, advises them if I've got bags to check in, ensures they know where I am 20 minutes before arrival to the airport. As the car pulls up, they recognize the car is coming. They know it's me. A lady standing outside the terminal building has my boarding card ready. She checks my passport while another gentleman takes the bags out of the boot, puts the luggage tags on it and takes them away. I never see them again. Then I'm led through to a, uh, a personal check-through process that takes me through security, and then I walk to the lounge where I can get a haircut, I can get a breakfast, oh. I can get every sort of nice comfort that I want before I board the plane. Of course, the alternative, which is what most of the mass airlines are doing right <laughs> now, is I turn up to an airport and there's a faceless machine that tells me to check in. That faceless machine, when I put my passport in there, the first thing I have to do is work out which way up to put it, when I finally get it to scan my passport, it then says it needs me to identify the airline number or the booking reference or some other piece oh. of detail. Where am I flying to? And I always ask myself, you know, this is a computer. How many Anthony Leapers are coming through this airport right now <laughs> with my date of birth on the passport? But I have right. to fill in all this detail in order to give them what they need to serve me. And so right from the very beginning, I'm not happy, I'm not impressed. And then, of course, I face the delights of security and always seeing those little signs on the wall that say things like, if I get angry, it's my fault and I can be pushed back off the plane. That clearly oh. helps that I enjoy the experience of making my way uh, finally onto an aeroplane, where, to be honest, more often than not, I'm made to feel as unwelcome as possible. So we would say the grade of A is for alienation and not for A for effort and not for A for star power on the part of the airline. That's... That is what a lot of people experience today. And, and Anthony, I don't know how old you are, but I know I used to love flying. I used to feel so special. I'd dress up before I went to the airport. I'd wear my best whatever, my good shoes, and I'd wear sometimes a hat and a suit. And it was always an adventure, and I felt special. But not anymore. You're right. You're just a number and you shuffle too much information. Ray Wong, what's your airline experience? You want to chime in on this one? I will tell you about a good one and a bad one, but I, I think yeah. the experience that Anthony's talking about actually mirrors one here as well. Um, I'm based in the San Francisco area, and, and we actually have a, a few carriers that are good and a few carriers that are just awful, and, and it's the same thing. Um, we were actually flying out in out of um, Fort Lauderdale, um, coming back to San Francisco. And on one hand, you know, you've got these mass lines where you're going through the same process uh, that Anthony was talking about. You know, mm -hmm. people are waiting, they're unhappy, they're being checked in, there's only three people out there. And then you have this other airline, and I'm happy to call them out by name. I mean, Virgin do, America. Please do. I mean, mm -hmm. we're sitting here, I mean, they've got drinks out there, coffee, help yourself, 
Um, people are free-flowing. People are actually helping people check in along the way. Um, very, very different experience night and day, even from the beginning of the process, from how you actually buy a ticket to the whole onboard experience, what's going on. And, and it's, it's as if they thought through being a customer uh, and what it would be like to be a customer. And they get back on the other airline, and they do everything they can to annoy you by showing the fact that, you know, they board everybody at once. They board everybody who's got status, which is everybody again, at once. And it's just a bad experience. You get back on Virgin, and it's you sit down at your chair. You look at your screen. You pick out the food you want. You pick out the drinks you want. Things show up as opposed to the other airline, which is, you know, carting around trying to charge and pay for everything while they're moving their cart. It just is a, such a different experience uh, out there. So, so, Ray, it's Anthony here. Uh, it's interesting because, obviously, my positive story is actually Virgin Atlantic here in the U.K. as well. And you're absolutely right. Oh. They understand who you are as a customer, and they've almost moved beyond, you know, just flying you to the whole transportation process. You know, from the point you leave the door, it's back to making you want to fly, dress up, enjoy the journey, <laughs> enjoy right. the whole experience to the point that they put you back on the curbside at your destination. And, and Anthony, and this, me, this goes to the word attention. delightful, too. You mentioned delightful. It, it is. In, in delightful. And, and this is, uh, when you think about these next-gen customer experiences, it requires a integrated systems, a design thinking approach. Because basically what you're doing is you're going back and you're saying, you know, what do we need to go and, and take the same constraints that everybody else has, but change mm-hmm. the overall experience to, to really transform itself? I mean, it's the same plane. You know, it's the same, you know, <laughs> technology that every other airline has. It's the same boarding... You know, lines that they have to deal with in the same awful airport security. But as Anthony was talking about, they've transformed it. It's, it's actually fun. You actually feel special. And, and they're definitely thinking about what that experience is when they do the design. And, and that, it's just so different. I mean, and it's just to single out one airline that can do that among all the other airlines. Amazing. And we're talking about the same guy behind it, which is Richard Branson. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's incredible. Amazing. And, and, and again, really a- interestingly, right, it's only small things. They're not yes. trying to change the world. They're just putting attention on detail, making sure you've got access to the drinks, you know, making sure that they smile when you come on an airplane. That doesn't cost a lot, but sort of making you feel special for that period of time that they interact with you, and, uh, and it doesn't take too much. And, of course, the other thing they do is they understand who you are as the consumer. My parents also fly Virgin Atlantic, and they understand that my parents are getting old. And they need more care and attention than probably I do as a business traveler. Of course, the machine, if you go to some of the competition, has no idea that I'm now 80 and I struggle to type. Mm-hmm. That's true. Now, let's talk about that fine line I mentioned in my introduction, Ray and Anthony. The fine line between being there, being present, knowing what the customer would like to receive in terms of service, what will make their trip easy, delightful, if you will, that wonderful word we just used – and the line on the other side is, you know too much about them. You say the wrong thing, such as, oh, I understand you were in the hospital last week. And somebody might jump back and say, uh-oh, big brother, big sister, somebody knows too damn much about me. I feel fearful now. I don't know where this this line of personal information and privacy is broached by the big machine that is airline. So, Anthony, how do you think a company can moderate or modulate the amount of data they have on someone and train their representatives to use it carefully and well? 
Well, again, it's around understanding things like the sentiment of the relationship. Mm-hmm. How strong a relationship do I have with somebody? I mean, again, just think about in your own personal lives. If one of your work colleagues came up and asked you something that was fairly personal, you might be slightly put out. If it was one of your friends, and those friends could be colleagues you work with at work, then at that point you might not be so put out. So about, it's about the level of intimacy, about the relationship you have with individuals. And if you think about it, this whole thing around the customer relationship is about one-to-one individual relationships. So mm-hmm. how do I, when somebody's starting an interaction who actually doesn't know me, how do I tell them how well we know them as a company, how well we know them as an organization? Do I mind that uh, Virgin Atlantic knows some of the personal details about the special needs of some of my children? No, I don't. But then that's because I have a very strong relationship with them. And that relationship makes me more open to telling them more because actually I want to do that to create a stronger opportunity for them to serve me even better. Ray, you agree? Definitely. Definitely. We're seeing that. And and this is really the notion of going from uh, right uh, real-time data to right-time data, because what right-time data has is, is a level of context. And this context is the relationship that we have. The context is cultural. Um, one of the things, for example, in China, when someone comes up to you and says, hey, you look fat, right? That, that's like a good thing. It means you're eating well. It means you're, 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 you've had the right nutrients and you're getting the right amount of food and you, know, you must be doing well to be able to be fat. Right here, it's like, oh, my God, what are you talking about? I'm fat? Why, why are you telling me I'm fat? You barely know me. Right? So it's stuff like that. And it's also about you know, where we are in a business process. It's also about the location I'm sitting at. It's also about the time. Um, and so these contextual clues are helping us filter the information. And some of the dangers that we see right now are we've got lots of information, but we've got a lot of noise. And so the question is finding the signal within that noise and fine-tuning that, which is why we're moving away from real-time and moving closer to right-time as we think about context. And we'll see more and more of that as we evolve. Right now we're having fun with real-time and getting stuff to people so you can make a decision. Mm -hmm. But that that fine-tuning is going to come over time, and culture also plays a big role. Thank you, Ray. We're in real time right now, and it's real time for a real break. I'm Bonnie D. Graham speaking with Anthony Leeper and Ray Wong about CRM. When we come back, let's dig in a little bit to what has to happen behind the scenes. We've talked about what and where and who and how, but we haven't talked about the structure of what a CRM system is really doing and how it will become more proactive, more personalized, more accurately fine-tuned for that delightful experience in the future. So when we come back, we will get into the future of CRM. You're listening to Breakfast with Game Changers. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Network. 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com what does a visual workplace mean to you how does it contribute to operational excellence and what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place listen to the visual workplace work that makes sense to find out Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're enjoying Breakfast with Game Changers, presented by SAP. To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag, pound sign, S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Breakfast with Game Changers. Welcome back. I'm talking to Anthony Leeper and R. Ray Wan about the future of CRM. And so far, we've been discussing in a great conversation. Thank you both for this interactive style. I love it. We've been talking about our experiences as customers and how we feel about how, for example, airlines have been treating us and and zillions of other customers. Now I want to go backwards into the company side, Anthony and Ray, and talk about how do you construct, how do you build that CRM system that will take us to where we are with the good, the bad, and the ugly today and move forward proactively into the future. Anthony, why don't you kick this off, please? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is as we start trying to think about the individual and you again think back to those people in the store, the amount of information they knew about you was almost limitless. You didn't know when it was going to arrive and whether it would stick in their memory, whether it was valuable. But when they needed the information, it was there available at the right time at the right place. So we have to design systems that can handle massive amounts of data, and we hear often these terms of big data. We need to have mm-hmm. systems that can think intelligently, deliver appropriate information at the right time, systems today that can analyze voice sentiment. If I'm on the phone and I'm already in a sort of tone of voice that sounds like I'm upset, then maybe mm-hmm. you want to be very careful with the questions you ask. Um, and so you've got to have systems that can handle massive amounts of data instantly, to provide those answers needed when it's necessary. And it sounds to me like you're saying you need to train your people to be astute listeners. Is that right, Anthony? Well, you need to train your systems. I mean, people mm-hmm. um, people can all respond to messages on a screen. The message could say, I'm already gauging from the voice that this particular individual is obviously upset. This is not how they normally talk. Ah. I've analyzed their voice patterns in the past, and there seems to be a problem here, so tread carefully. 
Okay, and it has to be has to be conveyed properly on the human side. Ray, what do you think of all this? What's your your take on how our systems are constructed now, and and if we have to? This sounds like really I hate to use this term space age technology with voice pattern recognition on customer calls. Ray, what do you think? I think there's different ways to do that. This goes back to the cultural aspects, but I think by taking advantage of sentiment or understanding that technology plus natural language language processing, we're really trying to build all these different correlations. The good news is we do have all these different data points as, you know, as we're talking about it. Anthony's talking about, you know, the, the unstructured data that's out there, or the conversations, and we mm-hmm. can kind of build these profiles of individuals. The bad news is we don't have enough information to get that accuracy right all the time. And so as we build these profiles, there's a little bit of experimentation. You make these baby steps to get there. And then I think over time, we'll, we'll have the pieces to, to increase that level of confidence to say, okay, we can make this next offer or we can make this next suggestion or we can tell if someone's joking or not. Because one of the things that's really tough to do is irony, right? How do you track something when someone's mm-hmm. being, you know, ironic or sarcastic or how do we yeah. grab these kind of things and say, do they really mean what they're saying? And, and so I think it does take some time, but the systems are there and, and they're definitely getting better over time. Now, it sounds to me like we need to talk about what a company wants to be quote unquote, when it grows up. In other words, it starts with leadership, starts with executive management, perhaps the owner, the founder, and somebody would say, we want to be a company that is perceived as customer aware, service astute, and always delivering that wonderful D word, the delightful experience. Doesn't that have to be the starting point, Anthony and Ray? Either one of you can jump in. In other words, somebody has to take the lead and say, what do we want to be? And then how do we make our CRM system support that goal? Is that where it all begins? This is Ray. I'm actually going to say it actually starts way before that. Um, mm. And it cuts across not just CRM. This is back to the point we made early in one of the segments. It's It includes all the other steps in between, and it might include the supply chain pieces, but there are 20 steps that will get someone to a perfect order, and these steps are important. It's anything from being able to support someone through all these different channels. It's making sure you get a consistent brand experience. It's giving people the ability to choose their products and services. It's about configuration, right, and making sure that you can guarantee a level of quality. People understand what pricing policies they have. Some people want sourcing options. They want to know that what they've done is, you know, organic, certified, or it's coming from a renewable energy source. So that has to be factored in, too. And then there are other things such as delivery and installation. How does it get put to place? You know, when do you get it? And then there's a period of time, right? When do you want it delivered in, in a time segment? It's like the cable guy that shows up, you know, I'll be there between 8 and 12, great, I just wasted four hours of my day. Right? So things like this come back to it, and mm-hmm. then you're thinking about locations and how things are packaged. Sometimes you need documents. Sometimes you want a repeatable order. Sometimes you also want to deal with warranties and service requests and handling returns and repairs. And then finally, how do you want to get billed? Now, all these things are part of that broader customer experience. And it's not just the CRM aspects, but you have to go back to what we were talking about earlier, which is that design thinking to get there. Okay. And the other thing, Ray, is it's about setting expectations. I mean, we have a um, a uh, cheap airline here in the UK. It's known as EasyJet, right? And I'm sure when the company started, they didn't really go out there and say, we're going to delight our customers. It was all about cheap and cheerful. And so they put out seats at a low cost. They offered very, very little service for free on the plane. If you wanted a meal or something, you paid for it. That was what you got. 
Um, there was very little control in the boarding process, and everybody accepted it. But it was a fraction of the cost of the other airlines. Interestingly, over time, the food that they offered was better quality than the major airlines where you were paying 10 times as much, even though you paid maybe you know, $10 for a, a sandwich and a, and a drink. And actually, the girls always laughed because it was a relaxed environment. There was no real strong protocol. So it was relaxed. It was enjoyable to fly. And actually, they started to get loyal customers. Mm. And so it was very interesting. And those people who had been used to paying the sort of heavy prices of the major airlines and getting service that didn't meet their expectations suddenly started to go to these other airlines where they had very little expectation. But it was very easy for these cheaper airlines to do something that differentiated and made it an enjoyable experience. So it's interesting. I think when a company starts, one of the things they have to say is, you know, what am I looking for? Am I cheap and cheerful? Am I going to differentiate over customer relationship and experience? Am I going to delight the product, uh, the, the customer through the product? And then once they've made those decisions, they need to build the ecosystems around it to support that desire and the way they wish to interact with people. That's a great example. We've got the same thing here with Southwest Airlines. I mean, they competed on price, but, I mean, they are cheerful and, and a bit cheeky as well. Yeah. <laughs> Is cheeky a good thing, like right? We to laugh in the morning, right? <laughs> exactly. I have to ask you both. Company size. Now, it's easy for an entrepreneur, a small mom and pop, a company with 10, 20, 30 employees that maybe has a focused niche on what the service or product is they're delivering. They can say, oh, yeah, we have 100 customers. We need to learn more. We need to do more. We're building in. We're baking in, if you will, how we're going to deal with them the next time. And we're going to retain them because we know that's how you get the best bang for your marketing buck. But when you go up the food chain to the midsize enterprise, to the LE, the large enterprise, if you haven't been doing it well, it seems it would take an exponentially, humongously greater effort to fix it and make it better. Ray, what do you think? It does, and, and this is where some of the processes and the automation come into play to help guide that approach so that you can actually get to scale. But ultimately, it comes back to change management. This is really about helping people see the vision, helping people understand you know, what you're trying to achieve. And, and some of the techniques that people go out and do that with is they, they actually put people on the experience. I mean, I know that going back to the airline example or even anything in uh, hospitality, they put people in, in the situation of a customer in, in other queues and other customer experiences from their competitors so they actually understand what they're going through. Uh, and, and that's part of the design thinking and the design process is to have people understand the situation. And, and, and really trying to figure out how you, would you change that and then try to scale that out in terms of training and other programs. But it's mm-hmm. not easy. I mean, nope. we're, I mean that's, that's one of the arts of, of actually making it work. The systems are going to be there, but you still have to have that personal touch. Yeah, and I think you lead from the top. But the other thing you know, uh, and I think it's something that we tend to lose sight of, it's delivering systems that empower the individual during the interaction to make a controlled decision. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to, you know, there are hotels around the world where the, the desk clerks are empowered to do things like, you know, refund a night or something if things go wrong. And so you empower the individual, make sure the system supports them being able to make the decision they want to make. And then you have somebody at the top who says, you know, treat the customer like you would expect to be treated yourself and bring that into the interaction. And again, if the customer's being unreasonable and you're standing there being unreasonable, even if you put yourself in their shoes, you know they're being unreasonable. Alternatively, if the customer's being reasonable, then you know maybe that uh, it now is uh, beholden to you as a company employee to make the right decision to put things right. And that's around empowerment. 
Thank you, Anthony. When we come back, we're just about ready for our final break. We're going to talk about, well, of course, it's the crystal ball segment. I'm going to ask Anthony Leeper and Ray Wong about their predictions for CRM in 2017. That's five years ahead. We're just about on the cusp of a new year, actually. But I also want to ask both of you in your predictions to talk about the role of social media, what I call the customer voice. How loud is that voice? How hard should companies listen to it? How quickly do companies need to respond to it? And what kind of data can you call from this unstructured stream of information coming in over Twitter and Facebook and Yelp and Open Table, anywhere a customer can say something about you and your brand? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Breakfast with Game Changers. We'll be right back with my very special guests, Anthony Leeper and R. Ray Wong. So stick with us. See you in a minute. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network being here with ariel and shia kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment this show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment don't miss being here tune in every wednesday at 9 a.m pacific 12 noon eastern with ariel and shia kane right here on the seventh wave network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying breakfast with game changers presented by sap to speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Breakfast with Game Changers. And this brings us to our crystal ball segment, predicting how CRM will look and feel in 2017. Let's start off with our first panelist today, Anthony Leeper from SAP and Forbes blogger. Anthony, crystal ball, what do you say? Well, look, if you go back to the early days of CRM, it was all about managing the employee, how they interacted with people, and it was almost like a tracking system. It tracked the customer interaction and the employee. You know what? In the future, I think it's all about individual advice. I think that the users, whether they be the consumer, the customer, or whether they are the employee, will just see this system as their trusted advisor, just like it used to be in the guy in the store, right? You'd walk in there and go, are the apples fresh today? What are the best potatoes to buy for frying or roasting or whatever? And you'd get that individual advice. 
And the way it will happen is we'll see new levels of instinct applied to every single customer experience that goes on between the consumer and the, in the company. And that instinctiveness will come from listening to social feeds, blogging, whatever it is, understanding previous interactions, understanding relationships and how other family members or other business members interact, and bringing that together in a seamlessly connected world where I could start a conversation on my television, move it to my mobile phone, get in the car and it's on the dashboard, and finally when I walk in the store, it's on their in-store display. Everything's seamless, and every time I think... It's individual advice to me, whether I'm trying to sell or whether I'm trying to buy. Thank you, Anthony. I have a question for you. The voice of the customer on social media, do you have any insight into whether the trend is one way or another? Are more people being vocal about a bad experience or are more people being vocal about a good experience today? That's interesting. Um, I think it's probably still, um, you know, there seems to be a, an instinct that people are still a bit shy to uh, complain. Certainly in a lot of cultures, that seems to be the nature. Um, and ratings, I think quite often we see people rate overly generously and, uh, and things. But I think as we go forward, we'll see people taking it more seriously. Why will they take it more seriously? Because they'll get the feeling that the company is listening. Therefore, what they say matters. Recently, I flew on an airline, not Virgin Atlantic, and I made a positive comment form, very positive. I was delighted by the flight. Mm -hmm. They listened, they came back to me, and now they ask for my advice. What a great relationship to help shape the travel industry of the future. Nice, very nice, very sweet. R. Ray Wong, Crystal Ball, 2017, and social media from your POV. What do you say? I have to agree with Anthony. There are a couple of things as we move to personal fulfillment systems. So we're, we're in this stage where we're engaging with people. Um, we're going to go through, by, we get, by the time we get to 2017, we'll have gone from agility and flexibility to what I'm calling intention-driven. And what's intention-driven is the system's going to guess. They're going to know what you want to do next, but it's not going to be so big brotherish that it says, go do that. It's going to say, hey, I think you might want to do these three things, and those three things are probably the top three things you've done for the last 10 years. And it's got that information. It's saying, okay, yeah, let's, let's make that suggestion. And, and you feel like it's massively personalized, definitely on an individual scale, and very self-aware. And a lot of this embedded knowledge pops up and, and comes out and says, okay, let's, let's go analyze these patterns. And so we'll get to the stage where some people are calling these vendor relationship management systems. And back to the travel example, imagine mm-hmm. if you said, I'm making a trip out to the U.K. from San Francisco. I want to fly on this type of class of ticket. I'm only going to pay this much. And I want to make sure that... You know, the travel's arranged, I can hire a car, rent a car, uh, I'm going to stay in this kind of hotel. Now, normally, that's like three, four different transactions, or you call the travel agent and give them everything, uh, and, and then they come back and do a bunch of back and forth. But imagine if you put in all the requirements and got a personalized RFI or RFP out there, and you never had to worry about it again. Someone just sourced it all, it all happened for you, and it happened in the way that you wanted You've got the beginning of, of these personal fulfillment systems. More importantly, if you just said, hey, I'm going to the U.K., and you already did this last time, it knows exactly what you wanted, and it says, hey, does this look right to you? And then you go out and make it. It's one bill. It's one payment. Um, everybody who's on the other end has agreed to meet your RFI and will deliver and, and make that seamless. I think that's where we're headed uh, going forward. 
And that would be delightful for sure. I'm going to pose before I start talking about what's coming up and do our happy holidays and thank yous to everybody who helps make the show possible. I'm going to throw another travel experience of mine very quickly to both of you. And I'd like you each to give me a second uh, comment on how it could be better in the future. I travel Amtrak New York to Philadelphia several times a year. I book my ticket online. Takes a few seconds. Very happy experience. I have to go to Penn Station. Wait on a physical line for between 15 minutes and one hour in Penn Station. Waiting for a clerk at one of 15 windows to call me to the window to look at my my sheet I have printed out with the barcode from the computer experience and hand me a physical ticket, ask me to sign it, and then send me out into the masses to wait for the train. That really ruins the customer experience for me. Anthony Leeper, how could that be better? What could Amtrak do to make me delighted in the future? Well, one of the quick things they could do, right, is they probably know how many people are traveling within that time slot. It's a simple mathematical relationship to work out how long are we going to make you stand in the queue and divide that by the number of people at the kiosks we're going to put there to keep that queue to a minimum. But then, of course, what we could do is just get rid of the queue. Why don't we transmit this to you on your BlackBerry or your iPhone or any other mobile device of the future? And as you get to the the train station, we lead you through the train station with personalized signals on your phone so you know exactly where the train's going to be. And as you get on board the train, there's somebody with a new iPad 7 or whatever it is who, as you get on the train, (laughs) gets a little photograph of you, knows exactly what your preference is. Uh. And as you sit down, they bring you that lovely cup of coffee. From your lips to Amtrak's ears. Ray, I can give you 20 seconds on this one because we're almost ready to close. Go ahead. I agree with this. I think a lot of it's going to be automated in the preferences. It's better yet, you should just be able to walk in. You already know what train it's going to be. And, of course. You know, at that point, it guides you exactly to the seat that you need to be at, and, and there shouldn't be a need for a queue. So I, I agree with Anthony. That's, that's, hopefully we get there. Hopefully we will. Now I have to introduce what's coming up next week. I have a very special show. We're not going to look ahead five years. We're going to look ahead to game-changing predictions for 2012. And I've invited back a whole bunch of previous guests on the show. It'll be a surprise. Watch our page on the Business Channel on Voice America to see who my very special guests will be. On January 4th, we kick off the new year with the era of the entrepreneur. Special guest is Susan Solovic. She's a network TV business commentator on ABC's America This Morning. And Money Matters, MSNBC's Your Business, and Fox TV's Good Day New York. And she's the author of the New York Times bestseller, It's Your Biz, and her website is itsyourbiz.com. January 11th, book review part one, The Customer Edge Experience with authors Risa Sudagar, Vinay Iyer, and Dr. Volker Hildebrand. I want to thank Malcolm Kimberlin. Thank you so much for co-producing. Thank you to Carolyn Brock and Wendy Ann Nesbeth. Special thanks to Patricia Harris and Joan Joan Sherlock, for helping to make the show possible. And last but not least, Anthony Leeper, R. Ray Wong. You've both been wonderful guests. I love the storytelling and the conversation. And thank you so much for being my special guest today here on Breakfast with Game Changers. And a shout-out to Jeff Spinard, Justin, Jeff G., and all the special crew at Voice America. Happy holidays to everyone, and we will see you next week on December 28th. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Breakfast with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the breakfast conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. 
Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.